from the book of Acts. And when they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Here's a question for us to ponder this morning. Um, what is it that actually brings a, per- a person to faith in Jesus Christ? It's actually a big question. What is it that actually brings people to a living faith? And people say, well, Scripture. Well, yeah, but you can read Scripture and never be converted. And, and it also, think of all the people throughout human history who couldn't read, and they were converted. So it can't just be Scripture, which is the Word of God and the ground of all truth. But there's got to be more to it. It's not quite that simple. What is it that actually draws individual people to Jesus? And I would submit to you that there are as many conversion stories as there are people in this church today, as there are people in the world who have met the Lord Jesus Christ. God does reach each of us individually in our own ways, our strengths, our weaknesses. And in in a sense, well, no, in a real way, you are unique. There's no one on earth like you. And if you're like my mom and me, she'd say we should all be grateful for that. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, here's the thing. I want to think about this for a second because we think of conversion and as 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 21st century post-enlightenment rationalists, which I'm not negating that, but we think of coming to faith as... as as a conversion, right? Being convinced. I have chosen Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Well, wait a minute. Hang on. Who does the choosing, you or Jesus? It's a big question, actually. We We think of conversion, of coming to faith, as an intellectual assent to a truth claim. Yes, I've looked at the facts and I've signed right here. That's what our 21st century post-enlightenment rationalistic worldview wants to tell us. But that's not true, and we all know it. And the reason I bring this up is you look at churches today, and they say, you know, the real problem is we just have to figure out a new way to bring the world, you know. Truth be told, this past Easter, there was a, a church, which I don't even know which one it was, but you could probably Google it and find out, a church here in Vero Beach that decided that on Easter Sunday, they were going to hire a helicopter, which they did, and they were going to drop thousands, tens of thousands of on Easter eggs on the ground out of said helicopter in order to draw the young people, right? Well, look, here's the thing. God does not need a salesman. God does not need a marketer. Jesus does not need gimmicks. He doesn't need us to sell him. Because what really changes lives, listen, and you'll see what I mean. What really changes lives is changed lives. What really converts people are converted people. You know, if you ever look at any conversion story, there is God, there is the person who's converted, and there's always somebody else. Another character through whom God uses to bring said person to faith. Every time, doubting Thomas, Saul on the road to Damascus, right? He goes to Ananias, and Ananias is part of that whole story. Every time, people are converted, listen, brought to faith through the context of a believer. And this morning, I'm going to look at that dynamic in this conversion story of the most unlikely couple you can think of, a a soldier, a Russian, Russian, sorry. (laughs) A Roman Gentile, non-Jewish soldier, and a fisherman named Peter. 
Two points I want to look at this morning. This is so cool. I love this story. Uh, the first point is the power of coincidence. Coincidence in quotes, of course. The power of coincidence in drawing someone to faith, and also the power of our story, the power of your story. So the first thing I want to look at is the power, again, coincidence, and I say that in quotes because there's no such thing, but I'll get to that in a sec. The first thing I want to say here is that biblically speaking, biblically speaking, there is no such thing. Someone said this this morning in Rector's Forum. There is no such thing as coincidence. There are things that happen that might not matter. There are things, I'm wearing black socks. Of course, big surprise. <laughs> but I mean, there are some things which don't matter, but there, are no, there is no such thing in Scripture which is coincidence, which means that everything happens for a reason. And that's a biggie. People say that, and they don't ever think what they mean. I'll give you an example. I was in Denver this past summer in July, and I stopped in uh, to Starbucks to get one of those dark coffees, right? I don't go for the latte frou-frou stuff with the foam and all that. No, man, just give me black, dark coffee. My wife said it's because it's bla- you like your coffee black like your soul. That's what my wife says. <laughs> but uh, anyhow, uh, I was, at the, I was at Starbucks, and this purple-haired, tattooed barista was talking about something, I don't even know it, when she was talking to somebody else, and she says, well, you know, to, to her colleague, well, you know, all things happen, everything happens for a reason, and I said, oh, yeah? How do you know? And she, I mean, for her, it was just self-evident, but it's not. When people say everything happens for a reason, Unless there's a God who actually directs the show, that's a stupid thing to say. When you say everything happens for a reason, that means there must be someone with reason behind ordering it, who has the reason and the power and the will and the intent to order it, i.e. God. So whenever one of your friends says, well, everything happens for a reason, or your kids say it, say, well, how do you know? As a Christian, I know why. But as a non-believer, that's a stupid thing to say. My point is that there is no such thing as the biblical Christian worldview. There is no such thing as coincidence. Things don't just happen by chance. Things do not just happen by spontaneously. I mean, I'll give you another example. If I'm looking for my cordless drill, for example, and it's not where I left it, I assume that someone moved it. And I know who it was. It was my daughter, Grace, because it's always my daughter, Grace. <laughs> because she takes my stuff and doesn't put it back. And I said, well, it has it been moved. I put it there. It must not be there. I bet I know where it is. I go upstairs, and sure as shooting, there it was in Grace's room. But the point I want you to see here, and I'll move on, is that God is sovereign. He's in control of all things. There's also the element of human free will here, that God is in control of all things, and we also make decisions, choices, have will, good decisions and bad decisions that have consequences on our own lives and the lives of those that we love, our relationship with God, for example. You have a choice and I have a choice, but God is still sovereign. You can't, you can't fool the guy. He's God, which means that everything happens for a reason. And the reason I say that to you this morning is because we see this dynamic of this, this coincidence then this story between Cornelius, this Gentile Roman soldier, and Peter, who we all know and love, right? 
Uh, Cornelius is a, a Ro- the Romans, of course, are occupying the Jewish nation. Cornelius is a, a centurion, I think, isn't he? A centurion. He's, a under, he's a commander over 100 men. And the Roman soldiers, the Jews didn't like the Romans because the Romans were, were killed Jesus, and they also wanted to kill them. And there's always this kind of antagonism. So here's Cornelius, a Ro- Russian, Ro- Roman Gentile soldier, on the one side and the other side, you have this guy named Peter that could not be further apart. And yet God, in his sovereignty, calls these two men together. I'll show you this. Peter has a vision, a theophany. He's praying, and he sees a sheet come down. Some, he says something like a sheet. This is all metaphorical language. Don't get too wrapped up in the details. But it's, Peter sees a vision, something like a sheet, right? He's trying to describe it in human terms. And it comes down, and it has all sorts of animals on it that are unclean according to Jewish law. And the voice says to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter is scandalized. He's Jewish. You don't need reptiles and, and birds of prey and predators and all that. You don't need that stuff if you're a Jewish person and you're a good Jewish, any, good Jew anyway. And Peter says three times, I will never do this. Nothing unclean has ever crossed my mouth. Look, Peter's stubborn. That's why God tells him three times, Peter, kill and eat, kill and eat. Peter, kill and eat. And then in this vision, and then Peter has a vision, and the vision departs. And Peter's thinking, what in the world was that all about? I mean, think about it. Here's Peter has a vision. Doesn't know what's going on. Doesn't know anything about this Cornelius fellow. Has a vision of, the gen, of, of food that, now, that always made the Jews and the Gentiles separate. Now those food laws are obliterated by Jesus. Peter's trying to wrap his mind around that. And just as he's beginning to understand what this is, he gets a knock at the door. It says right there, and behold. Look at it again. That word behold means it's a duo. It's the Greek word. It means pay attention. While all this vision is going on and Peter's trying to wrap his mind around, what in the world is this, all this sheet and reptile business about? He gets a knock at the door. He doesn't know who it is. He doesn't know, it's, he doesn't know it's, it's, a, it's a band of people named, that are here with a guy named Cornelius, a Roman soldier, a centurion. And what Peter also doesn't know is that these visitors are sent to him by Cornelius, this powerful soldier. And Cornelius himself has also had a vision, you see. And in Cornelius' vision, the vision says, Cornelius, go to Joppa and find a, dude named, a guy named Peter. And he will tell you about Jesus. Now, realize something here. Here are two guys who would never even cross, would never be associated in any way with each other. Peter knows nothing about Cornelius and vice versa. They've never met. Yet Peter, Cornelius sends his guys to Peter's house. He says, they say, Peter, a Gentile has called for you. And Peter, under the power of the Spirit, goes. This is my first point. The power of coincidence. Two strangers, Peter and Cornelius. And in this meeting, Cornelius is converted to Christianity, becomes he's baptized. And in this meeting, Peter is converted that the Gentiles can belong. If it weren't for Cornelius, my Christian brothers and sisters, you could never have barbecue. (laughs) Or bacon. Or hamburger. Here's my question. I want to ask you, have you ever stopped to consider... 
that in the midst of our lives, right, all the noise and the background clamor and the comings and goings and all the busyness, kids and grandkids and, you know, everything we do, you ever stop to consider something important? That the seeming coincidences of your life, a chance meeting with a friend, they're planned by God. Did you ever stop to consider that everything that happens to you is in some way planned by God? I was at a party last night, uh, not for very long, um, but I had some, a couple of conversations. I won't share the details with you now. It's not important. But things came out of that conversation from a few folks. I was like, whoa, I've been praying about this. I'll share that with you later. But I want you to stop and think about even if you can't, even think about it yourself. Think back to a time in your own past where it was just the right person at the right time or the right phone call at the right time, or something happened. It could be anything at all. A coincidence in your life that was not a coincidence at all. And maybe at the time it meant nothing to you. Maybe at the time you shrugged it off as a nothing burger. But you now look back and say, holy smokes, God was in that. I'll give you another example. Back to Denver. I was in Denver this past summer. It's a Sunday. I had like, oh, I'm going to get up. I had to go see, uh, see one of my children. And so I'm like, I'm going to get up early. I'll head over to church, and then I'll shoot out of there. And uh, I won't wear a collar so I can get out quick. And uh, I did. I didn't wear a collar. I went in mufti. And I had to go to church. So what I do, I Googled it. Bloop, come up, close, you know, churches within five miles. St. Mary's Church in Denver. I'm like, all right, rock and roll. Let's go. So I went. I didn't, I went, I didn't know a soul. It was kind of, kind of, in a way strange to be in the pew and not know anybody there. But that's another matter. And I decided after, after Mass, it was a small group of people, to go to coffee hour to, just to say hello to the rector, introduce myself, and then scoot. Well, I never met the rector, but I did meet his assistant priest, and we struck up a conversation. And it was a, fun, it was a coincidence that uh, this person was uh, from Baltimore, but actually went to school, school at Eastern University in Eastern College in Philadelphia. Oh, really? I'm from Philadelphia? No kidding. My wife lives in Haverford, and I was from Chester County. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was at Eastern College, and while I was at Eastern College, I went to church at All Saints Church in Wynwood, Pennsylvania, and I went, really? That's weird. I did my first curacy at All Saints Church in Wynwood, Pennsylvania. Let's grab lunch tomorrow. Let's do it. All right. Next day, Chick-fil-A. I offered him the job, and there he is. Another funny story, I didn't mention this in my earliest 8 o'clock sermon, another one that you may not know, way back when Father Jason Murbarger was my first assistant, he left here about six and a half years ago, I couldn't find a priest, I had a few people that I tried to get that kind of different things didn't work out. I was lamenting with a colleague of mine at clergy conference named Charlie Holt, who was just elected bishop of Florida yesterday, I'll tell you that in a minute. And I said, Charlie, man, Father Charlie, I said, I can't believe this. I talked to this guy and this guy and this guy. I can't find an assistant priest, and I'm dying. It's just me. He said, well, have you talked to Josh? I said, Josh who? There he is. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> I'm not making this up. There are no coincidences, friends, none. And I want you to consider that today. Think back, it's not hard, but just put some thought to it. The things that people, that God places in your life that are no coincidences at all. Paul says this very thing in Romans 8, 28, lots of other places. 
that we know that for those who are called, those who love God, listen, all things work to good. All things. Tauta is the Greek. It means everything. In other words, there are no coincidences in life. So let me stop there, just say thing, and I'll move on. Where are you, where are you struggling in your life right now? And y'all are somewhere. Maybe you're confused, you're lonely, or you're scared, you got money issues. Let me just say two things. God will use this for good, ultimately. But also, God also, want, I want you to see that these situations in your life are not a coincidence, and God will use them to bring you closer to him. People, God will put, in the, in the midst of suffering, God will put people, places, and things in your life that God will use for good. You know, you can't see the Cornelius coming to your door before Cornelius knocks on your door. And you can't see what Cornelius is going, what's going on with Cornelius when you follow to go to see him. You don't know what's going on, but God does, you see, and that's the difference. He's got a plan, and you're a part of it. The power of coincidence that God places people in our lives. Think in your own life. Who are the people that influenced you in your walk with Jesus? First person that comes to my mind is a guy named Father John Wall. He was a chaplain at NC State. I've never told you about him. I'd read scripture growing up, kind of. I went to church growing up, kind of. Didn't really care. Until the Lord put John Wall in my path, and my life was changed. There's no such thing as coincidence. That's the power of it. There's no such thing. And then my second point is the power of our story, the power of your story. So Cornelius' man, they show up. Peter, let's go. Peter goes, and um, through the ministry of Peter, this Roman Gentile soldier is converted, the first Gentile ever in Scripture, and not just Cornelius, his whole household, family, kids, slaves, anybody who worked for him was converted in, in this, to this relationship with Jesus Christ. This seeming chance encounter, this seeming coincidence now shows us that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob now includes Gentiles like you and me. And then later on, this is, this is the best part of the whole thing, later on Peter returns to Jerusalem to tell the other Christians who are there. When, when, when the story talks about the uh, Peter going back to Jerusalem to tell the brothers. That means the people he's speaking to are Jews, Jewish people who had become Christians. And Peter goes back and says, gang, you're not going to believe what just happened. This Gentile Roman soldier, this, you know, castaway has accepted Jesus. The Holy Spirit has worked in him. I've seen it with my own eyes. And at first they're angry and they're scandalized. How can this be? But then Peter begins to explain to them the strange events that occurred, this vision that he had, this story of this man's conversion, how he's baptized. This Roman comes to faith in Jesus. Peter tells his story, and this is what happens next. Verse 18. This is the best part of the whole text, and I'm going to wrap up. And when they, the, Christian, the Jewish Christians that were there, heard these things, what Peter said about Cornelius, they fell silent. Which means less. They went like this. And they glorified God. I love that. They fell. They hear the mighty works of God in this Gentile, rushed Roman soldier. And they fall silent. Whoa. And they glorify God. So here's a question for you. What is your story? Everybody's got one. 
what is your story about how Jesus has brought you to him? It involves a person or people, many of them. I guarantee it. It always works that way. What's your story? Do you, when you tell other people your story about how Jesus has and is changing you, do they go, whoa? <laughs> do they fall silent? Do they want to hear what you have to say? The, do they want to hear the amazing things that God is working in your life? Do they hear how God has changed you and is changing you and they want to be a part of it? Do they go, and glorify God. I want to know this God that you know. I want the life that you have. I want faith like you're sharing. I want to be changed by the same God that's changed you. I want you to stop and consider this, friends. Everybody's got a story. The person in your seat has a story about how Jesus has and is changing you. And I want you to stop and think about this. It's so important to consider how God has worked in your life, the people he's placed in your life that have gotten you where you are right now. Can you tell your story? Have you told your story? You know, one of my favorite uh, verses in Scripture, if you don't know this already, I'll tell it to you, uh, is 1 Peter, Peter's first letter, chapter 3, verse 15. Peter says this about this very thing. He says, always be ready, prepared, to offer a testimony for the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. Love that. Always be prepared to offer a testimony for the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. Testimony, what does, it, what does that mean? A testimony is if you were in a court of law and someone said, so why do you believe in this Jesus fellow? What would you say? That's your testimony. He says, always be prepared, be ready to offer a testimony for the hope that is in you, but do it with gentleness and respect. In other words, can you articulate how God has worked and is working in your life? Have you done it? Are you ready? Peter says, always be ready. Because you never know, you never know when Cornelius is going to knock on your door. You never know when God is going to give you an opportunity to share the good news, the hope that is in you. If you don't know your story, I want you to stop today and think about it and pray about it. And you know it, you just got to take the time to be ready. I'm going to teach a class on this, I'll tell you that. So you, we can walk through. How do you know how to articulate your story? It's simple. How has God changed you? Don't overthink it. You know it already. Because, friends, that is, in fact, how other people meet Jesus. Through you and through me and through your story. And when they hear about the patience and the forgiveness and the tenacity and the courage that you have, when they see you facing struggles in your life and they say, how do you do it? How do you do it, Father? Well, I trust in Jesus, and I've seen him work in my life, and I know he's going to get me through again, because he always does. Amen? And I want people to see the joy and the hope and the confidence in you, not because your lives are easy, but because they're hard. But you know that, you're, that God has a plan and that you are part of it, that you have a story. And your story is the story of Jesus literally working in your life on a person called you. So do you know your story? Can you share it? Are you ready to share it?
Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the story, the witness of Peter and Cornelius, this amazing conversion story where not only Cornelius is converted, but so is Peter. Remind us that in the challenges of our lives to keep our eyes open for the people you place in it to encourage us, to remind us, to befriend us, the coincidences in our life that we forget, we just don't see them, remind us to keep our eyes open and expecting them so when we see them, we can remember. Help us, Lord, to have the courage to know our story, to think about it and share it, and be ready to offer a testimony for the hope that is in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinityvero.org and follow us on Facebook.